Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. Or should I say, welcome to the Oprah Winfrey Show. Show. A show about Oprah Winfrey <laughs> and her show. Uh, yes, thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> we, we, just for this episode, we brought in, uh, comfy couches. So and, that Caroline can jump on it at some right, point. Because I am in love with Katie Holmes. Yes. And, um, yeah, we're, uh, we, Kristen brought in a wagon of fat. Yes, and I also wrote a fictional memoir. Yes, that I will accuse you of uh, all sorts of things. <laughs> it's, called, of it. it's called A Million Little Podcasts. <laughs> wow. Wow. Here we go. Here we go, folks. Get ready, because we're talking about Oprah today. Uh, because on May 25th, 2011, a date that will live in infamy, the last episode of the Oprah Winfrey Show aired it did. And then, I mean, she started her own network, so. Yes. She, so didn't, she didn't go far. The Oprah Winfrey Network, which I'll go ahead and say up front that, uh, Discovery Communications, which is the owner of HowStuffWorks.com, is affiliated with. So we'll keep our Oprah Winfrey Network comments at bay because we really need to just talk about the woman and the show. Right. Because she's one of the most powerful and influential women in the world. Yeah. Okay. So where, where do we start? I say we start with the show and talk about exactly how many people it has sucked into its orbit. Let's go for it. That is 48 million people were viewers of the show, wow. regular viewers of the show. That's Incredible. a lot of people. She affected the lives of so many people, whether she was telling you to buy a panini press mm-hmm. or, you know, helping you overcome something terrible in your life. Or giving you a Pontiac G6 sedan. Oh, God. Let me tell Okay, sidebar. My mother religiously watched Oprah uh-huh. for years, for years, every day, four o'clock, watched Oprah. She, the day, when, I don't remember what favorite things episode it was, but those episodes always made her so angry. Why? Because she wasn't getting the stuff. Oh. She's like, I have to watch all of these strangers get all of this stuff. She called her sister crying. Wow. One of the last, I don't know, it was in the past couple of years. She called her sister crying and her sister was watching the show too. And they just sat there and complained. Because she wanted the favorite things so badly. Yeah. Those are some cool favorite things. Yeah. It would be, it would be. Oprah has good taste in like pajamas and stuff. (laughs) Pajamas and paninis. Uh, 48 million viewers, 150 countries. Yeah. The Oprah Winfrey show is beamed to. And just in terms of ad dollars alone, to give you an idea of the value of this talk show, a 30 second ad spot during her show, um, as it came toward the, uh, that finale on May 25th could run you a cool million dollars. Yeah. It was not cheap. No. I don't think I could just run like a personal ad <laughs> during the really Oprah rich. show. It's like yeah. the Super Bowl of regular television of talk shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every day. Every day of the Super Bowl. And what kind of stuff did she talk about, Caroline? Well, I mean, part of her popularity was definitely that she brought so many previously taboo topics mm-hmm. to the forefront. Uh, I mean, yeah, she had her favorite things episodes, which were definitely very popular. Everybody wanted to tune in and be told what to purchase. Um, but, I mean, she brought stuff forward um, like incest, domestic abuse, sexuality, addiction, depression, AIDS. And she used 
her own stories to mm-hmm. sort of bring people into it. Because I think it was in the 80s during a show, it was like the 88 or 87, where she admitted to her viewers, the whole public, that, you know, she had been abused as a child yeah. and, a, and a young uh Young adult also. Uh, and of course, Oprah is not without her critics and her controversies, which we'll also talk about because for all of the influence that she has gained over the 25 years that she was on the air, uh, she has also launched the careers of other people such as Dr. Phil, yeah. Dr. Oz, um, Rachel Ray, in fact, which I, which I didn't oh, realize. Yeah. Rachel Ray used to be on her show. And, um, and also the Oprah book club mm-hmm. that has made so many authors so much money and actually brought reading into the mainstream again. Some people might argue. And, uh, yeah, with great power becomes great responsibility. And some people think that maybe she's abused that responsibility, but, uh, you know, at the same time, she's done a lot of good as well, which we'll talk about with her philanthropy. Yeah. So much. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of philanthropy, she's reportedly given $350 million of her own money mm-hmm. to charitable organizations. And through her show, she's managed to raise more than $51 million, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. I believe the honorary Oscar that she was given this year was specifically for her philanthropic work. And, uh, for instance, in 2007, she opened that Leadership Academy for Girls in South Africa. Also kind of controversial, mm-hmm. um, kind of considering whether or not that was the best way to, uh, to reach out to those girls. Right. Well, she also had, uh, she started the $12 million endowment at Morehouse. Mm-hmm. So that's a way of lifting people up. You know, she's she's trying to practice what she preaches basically yeah. on her show. And she's also invested a lot specifically into uh, the Chicago community because mm-hmm. Chicago's really where she got her start in television. And speaking of which, why don't we why don't we offer a little bio of Oprah Gail Winfrey, born yeah. January twenty fifth, nineteen fifty four. Yeah, come with us. Come with us to Mississippi. Yeah, go. Yes, come to the farm on Mississippi where Oprah was born to her unwed teenage mother. And she was initially raised by her grandmother on the farm. And then she was sent off to Milwaukee to live with her mother. And she had a rather promising childhood in elementary school. Uh, she was a star pupil in one of the television episodes. She actually brought back her Favorite teacher from elementary school. Who kind of remembered. Who sort of kind of remembered. Um, she also enjoyed church involvement, other yeah. school activities. Yeah, she was frequently the one called on to, you know, say prayers mm-hmm. or she handed out graham crackers at school. She liked to, she was a participator. She was a joiner. Yes. Kind of a star personality from the get go. Uh, but then at the age of nine, she was molested and raped by her cousin who took care of um, her and her siblings while her mother was at work. And then um, in her adolescence, she was also raped by an uncle and a family friend, which really started, I mean, just this kind of history of personal tragedy mm-hmm. in Oprah's life. Yeah, she there was actually a quote from her where she was reflecting on her childhood of abuse. And she just said, at, at one point, I just had the thought of like, OK, well, this is life. Yeah. Like, this is what it's like. I, You know, how do I get away from this? But one thing she did say also is that from the very young, very tender age of four, she had this idea mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of talk about Oprah's idea. Yes. Um, 
that she had for herself and that she never let go of. And it, she said that, uh, it was sparked when she was four years old on the, on her grandmother's farm and her grandmother was, you know, hanging clothes on the line or, you know, doing chores and stuff. And, and she was like, well, you're going to have to learn how to do this too one day. Mm-hmm. And Oprah was going, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. I'm not doing what you're doing. So from a very young age, she was determined to be different, yeah, to achieve more and just rise up sort of beyond where she was. Now, with all of the uh, the childhood sexual trauma that was going on um, and her getting pregnant at the age of 14, it seemed like that dream that Oprah had would certainly not be fulfilled. She was only following in the footsteps of her mother. Um, she, Because she had been acting out, actually, she was sent to live with her father in Nashville. And her father is just horrified and ashamed that his 14-year-old daughter is pregnant. But she ends up losing the baby. And in a way, this is really the huge turning point for Oprah, where she refocuses herself in school. And I think she actually, I don't know if she graduated early, but she was... Um, her coursework was ahead of her age group and she ends up earning a full scholarship to Tennessee State University. And in 1971, her real big break begins when she wins two pageant titles in that year, Miss Fire, Pre- Miss Fire Prevention and Miss Black Tennessee. And when she wins Miss Black Tennessee, she's noticed by the local black radio station WVOL that hires her as an on-air reporter. Mm-hmm. And this starts her career in media. Right. And the rest is history. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. She, re- she really got going from a very young age and eventually started, uh, she had a morning show. Mm-hmm. In 1984, she breaks into the talk show circuit in Chicago, hosting AM Chicago in the same time slot as Phil Donahue. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, uh, Phil Donahue was one of the pioneers in sort of the, the girl talk, talk show format. Um, but he's going up against, or Oprah's going up against him. And needless to say, we all know what happens. Oprah gets her own show. AM Chicago is expanded in 1986 to an hour long format. And eventually Phil Donahue goes down the tubes. Right. Well, Oprah just has this way of relating to people. Yeah. She, she, you know, there, she walked out into the audience. She was part of the audience. Mm-hmm. She was asking questions of her guests, whether it was a celebrity, an author, or a criminal, or, you know, a single mother. You know, she was asking questions that the audience themselves would want to know. Right. And so she had this way of, of dealing with people, this, this sort of empathy that, that made them more comfortable and able to share things. And, um, She's just, I guess she took her past experiences and were able to, was able to really use those on the show. And like you said, Caroline, um, when she was so open initially, very early in those talk show days about her history of sexual abuse, it really dismantled that fourth wall between the viewer and you know, that person on the television talking directly to them and relating directly to them. And even now, 25 years later, when she is, you know, one of the richest women in the world, people are still able to relate to her on a very just kind of friendly basis. Right. You know, like they would just run into her on the street and be like, hey, let's go get lunch. Yeah. She's someone you'd see in a grocery store and just be able to have a chat with, even though she's obviously running in circles. So beyond, you know, the, the everyday viewers. Right. 
Yeah. But no, she, well, part of her popularity is that she understands the full range of the quote unquote female experience. Mm -hmm. She knows that being a woman is not just about shopping, but it's not just about being a mother and having a family. There's, there's a whole range of things to being a woman. And Caitlin Flanagan in the Atlantic, I thought had a good quote about it. Um, she said that Oprah can move so easily between episodes about, on the one hand, rape and domestic violence, and on the other, shopping and decorating, demonstrates not a lack of focus, but the fact that she understands the full equation of the female experiences in ways that few others have. Yeah, and it's not only just the female experience, but also the black female experience mm-hmm. on television, so open for one of the first times. And that's something that, too, that she's been... Um, very consistent with of supporting the black community and supporting other black women. And I think that's one of the reasons, too, why she's made such a significant impact, because she's I don't know, I feel like she's been able to, in her own way, love her or hate her, been able to bridge certain communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she was inspired by so many different women on television. So I think she took bits and pieces from everybody and, you know, and then incorporated them into her own experience. Mm -hmm. You know, she said that she had so much admiration for, um, Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. And she was so excited to see Diana Ross on television and seeing Sidney Poitier getting out of a, a limousine at the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. So she was just so inspired by all of these things she saw on television and other women hosting talk shows and everything that, you know, she was able to combine her knowledge, her life experience with a really sassy television show. Exactly. With an incredible amount of influence. Uh, for instance, with the Oprah Book Club. Okay, oh, yeah. we got to talk about the Oprah Book Club. Mm-hmm. Um, it was launched in 1996, and the first book that she promotes was Jacqueline Mitchard's The Deep End of the Ocean. And since then, the number of books sold since being selected on her show, 55 million. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and only 11 of the books uh, that she's ever singled out have not made it on to the USA Today bestseller list. Basically, if Oprah likes your book, you are... I right. Mean, it's, it's or payday. your panini press or your <laughs> vacuum cleaner or right. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she there's been a lot there's been a lot of flack mm-hmm. over this whole book club thing. Yeah. Because on the one hand, it's getting people to read. You know, like she's encouraging people to read. She's bringing people in and being like, yes, country as a whole. Let's let's all read this book together and talk about it. It's it gives people a sense of community, mm-hmm. um, even though it's on television and she's so rich and so far away. <laughs> you know, you're still part of something. And so she's encouraging all these people to read. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people who say, well, you're not picking the right kinds of books or your book club is not cool enough for my book, which was the case with uh, Jonathan Franzen. Oh, yeah. Please, please talk about this Jonathan Franzen controversy, because this one, I, I was not aware of this, the uh, Franzen episode. Right. He um, he wrote the novel Corrections, which is fantastic. Well, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's good that you like it. Have you ever watched Oprah? Because he doesn't think that people who watch Oprah would get his book. He, yeah. <laughs> he said that it would be too hard for them. Ooh, burn. And basically he's saying that it would be too hard for the stereotypical uh, middle-aged housewife yeah. to read this book. Basically. Jonathan Franzen. I know, he's like, yeah, that's nice and all, but don't put your corporate logo on my book. Come on. I read that. That was my poolside read a few summers ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> so not that, not that challenging. And I did not need my unabridged dictionary beside <laughs> me to figure out the plot line. Your old English. <laughs> yeah. My magnifying glass. And also, I mean, she sent uh, Tolstoy's Anna Karenina back up to number one in what, 2004? Yeah, what? I mean, I've never, I mean, I've never even read Anna Karenina, really. I mean, I admit it. Hey, they're fine. Hey, maybe you should join the Oprah Book Club. I know. Well, I did pick up, I picked up, um, Love in the Time of Cholera at so the grocery good. store. You know, we've, in our, in our romance novel podcast, we talk about mass market paperbacks, mm-hmm. like sold at, you know, whatever big box store, the grocery store, whatever. And yeah, there are Oprah Book Club books at the grocery store. Yeah. And so I picked up Love in the Time of Cholera. And hey, some of well, it, along with my series or whatever, <laughs> you know. And some of it is fantastic literature. I mean, I think the fact that so many more people now know about authors such as Toni Morrison and Alice Walker. Yeah. Who are two of Oprah's most favorite, uh, female authors. I would attribute that to Oprah. But at the same time, though, we got to talk about things like The Secret. Ooh, yeah, pseudoscience. Yeah, she's definitely gotten a lot of flack for her promotion of pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. So books like The Secret, which basically say, um, so all these bad things that are happening to you, you're just not putting enough positive energy out into the universe. So right. it's, it's your fault. It's all about the the universal law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've met people who firmly believe in the power of the secret. I personally have never read The Secret. Um, but uh, at the same time, yeah. it is, you know, it, when you have that, again, it's going back to that thing of what do you do when you have such incredible influence like mm-hmm. Oprah has? When you make decisions to promote things like The Secret and bring Jenny McCarthy on to talk about a autism vaccine connection that is yet to be verified by any kind of scientific study. You can read more about that on HowStuffWorks.com if you don't believe me. Um, and bring on Suzanne Summers, who is going over her, uh, her controversial health regimen to keep her young. Mm-hmm. In the vein of, uh, what's that guy on Parks and Recreation? Rob Lowe's character, <laughs> who will live forever. Um, yeah. And then, you know, launching the careers of people like Dr. Phil, who again, probably has just as many, if not more critics as he does followers. Right. Well, all this, all this stuff that we were just talking about, about, um, pseudoscience and whatnot. And how, you know, there's, there's all this talk of Oprah and the Oprah show. As a religion. Yeah. yeah. And how, you know, she was raised um, in the Baptist church. And so religion played a big part in her life. And like we said, as, as a child, church was really important to her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, through her show, she sort of promoted all of this, this just different veins, just different types of religion. And she's talked about different ways to find spirituality. And that's kind of the key is that she's definitely focused more on spirituality and finding inner peace than she is talking about like a particular religion. Right. Catherine Lofton, uh, she's an assistant professor of American studies and religious studies at Yale has, has a lot to say about Oprah. Yeah. In fact, she wrote a book be- called Oprah, the gospel of an icon. She argues that Oprah has become a religion quote, because she invites ritual processes towards her and her iconography fosters produced ritual. And that ritual critics say is that people run out and buy stuff sort of the whole idea of consumption fulfilling that uh right. self need mm-hmm. but at the same time like I, you can argue it so many different ways because yes obviously with segments like favorite things 
um, you can uh, say that that promotes just a, cons- a false consumerism. And yes, there's a pseudoscience aspect of it, um, but it does seem like at the root of all of it, it's not a bad message that she is promoting at the end of the day, which is living your best life yeah. and enriching yourself and also being open and sharing your experiences mm-hmm. with other people. Um, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of hard. It's like, I keep doing this motion with my hands of the, the weighing the scales because there, there is, you know, stuff that you can say on, on either side. Right. And for someone like me, like, I feel like I'm a very, uh, I'm basically like Switzerland when it comes to <laughs> Oprah. I never really grew up with Oprah. Um, my mom never really followed Oprah. I had roommates um, who were really obsessed with Oprah. But I just, I, I don't know. She was never really that much a part of my life. So I, I recognize the impact that she has and also have been taken aback at certain times by, you know, maybe pulling out a wagon of 67 <laughs> pounds of lard right. and choosing to promote certain Things. It's interesting how strong the reactions are to Oprah. Mm-hmm. Like people out there are obsessed with her. Like they might do, you know, like the Michael Jackson concert thing and like totally start crying <laughs> yeah. and pass out. Or, you know, they just totally slam her and say that she's fake. She's materialistic. Mm-hmm. You know, she's promoting all of this junk science. But, you know, I, I'm the same way I, as as you. I, I you know, I, I see the good she does. Yeah. She's encouraging people to read. You know, she's encouraging people to overcome bad circumstances in their life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't I read O Magazine. <laughs> Which we love O Magazine. We haven't mentioned O Magazine. Forbes named O Magazine the most successful startup in the entire industry ever. Yeah, well, I mean, when you already have a humongous base of of fans and followers and people who love you and who will do anything that you say, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the time when I was most astonished by Oprah's sheer power was during the presidential election and the controversial sway that she had in uh, pulling for Barack Obama. I mean, it was, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the it, fact that a talk show, I mean, think about it, a like talk break show it down. Host. A talk show host can go into the political arena and show up at a rally with Obama and be like, this is who I have picked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, what right? other, what other, could Larry King couldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, like what other talk show host could do that? Incredible that she can do that. And yet still form that in sociological terms, that parasocial relationship with a viewer that allows us to still, you know, people like your mom mm-hmm. to still relate to her as a friend. Right. Yeah. Women's talk. Women's talk. Yeah. I mean, lover or hater, like you, you got to give it to Oprah that she has done something pretty incredible. Yeah. And now that she's, you know, moved into this new project of trying to build her own network, it'll be really interesting to see whether or not that influence will only grow or if it will wane. But at this point, I mean, she's wow. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, you know what? If you want to put yourself on the cover of your own magazine every month, I say do, do it. it. It's your magazine. Do whatever you want. I'll read it. I don't care. I know people, people <laughs> use the, the fact that Oprah's only had, she's had a, she shared the cover with Michelle Twice. Obama. Yeah. And who else? Ellen. And with Ellen DeGeneres. I think it was in the same year. So she's like, let's knock it all out at once. <laughs> and people say, you know, use that as some, uh, uh, sign of this 
egomaniac. Yeah. And of course there are, you know, the gossipy anecdotes about her being just an incredibly demanding and crazy boss to work for. And I'm sure when you are running one of the most successful production companies in modern media, yeah, you probably are putting in 16 hour days. And I'm sure if you're one of the most powerful women in the world, you probably do get kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah, hey, I get cranky when I'm tired and <laughs> I am on, you know, I'm managing nothing. And I think it's pretty impressive that a woman who is ranked the number three most powerful woman in the world behind Michelle Obama and Irene Rosenfeld, who's a, an executive at Kraft, has kept her love life private. I right. mean, we, we all, everyone in the world knows who Stedman Graham is. Right. And Gail King, her and, best friend, and right. all of the absurd speculations that go on. Right. But I mean, I think it's pretty impressive when you have celebrity divorces and babies and marriages and whatever on the news all the time, like two seconds after they happen. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's chasing down Oprah being like, oh, my God, let me get a picture of you eating with Stedman. Oprah doesn't need it. She yeah, she just waves her finger and it's like, nope. Well, imagine. I mean, if you are that influential and that A-list of a celebrity, you got to I'm sure you have to protect your privacy absolutely fiercely or else. I mean, you're just never going to have any time off the camera. Mm hmm. What else can we say? I mean, there's just so much. There's so much to Oprah. Yeah. She's multifaceted. I, she, she impresses me so much. The fact that she, as a four year old, had this idea that she was going to be different. Mm -hmm. And she proceeded to take every opportunity that she could. Yeah. And she rose to the stature that she has now. And if anything, you got to give it to her for bringing those taboo subjects out of the closet and talking about them yeah. and making us maybe more comfortable. Um, talking about issues amongst ourselves too. Mm -hmm. Taking down that fourth wall. Exactly. So even for non-daytime fans like myself, I do, I got to give respect where respect is due. And Oprah, you got it. Yep. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Double. Now I'm sure that listeners out there have so many diverse opinions on Oprah, do you love her? Do you hate her? Are you completely indifferent? Are you has your mother cried because of her shows? <laughs> Have you ever gotten a favorite thing? Oh my god, or a car, a Pontiac. <laughs> Jeez, let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the address. And you can also hit us up on Facebook about that. In the meantime, got a little listener email here about breakup songs. And this is from Brian in Canada. And he says, a few years ago, I was seeing this lovely woman, and we had a great romance until the day she told me she was leaving. Crushed and angry, I didn't know how to get over my funk until one day my roommates were watching the television show The O.C., and having never wanted to view anything from Orange County, I still found myself drawn toward the show, seeing how the cast would work through their problems, which helped me understand that it does happen to everyone at some point in time. That led me to getting off the couch, and I set out to have a new life, which I am happy to say is being married to my beautiful wife. Huh. So who knew the, the OC was his, his post-breakup therapy? <laughs> That guy has a big head in that show. I don't know what his name is. I get distracted by that stuff. If your head is too big, I just can't even talk to you. Anyway. Okay. This is an email from Lisa. This is also about our breakup podcast, uh, breakup song podcast. She says, I've been married for over 22 years, so I haven't needed to listen to breakup songs for a long time, but I love your podcast and really enjoyed your recent episode. I wanted to let you know the three songs that I listened to when I went through my very first horrendous breakup. Oh, no. 
It's funny to say this now, but my mom was a tough lady and said, you got three days to wallow and then you move on to find a better man. She's from Texas. <laughs> so on day one, I listened to, sang along with, and cried to These Eyes by the Guess Who. On day two, I needed to hear something a bit more upbeat to get me out of the funk I was in, so I listened to Burn Rubber, Why You Want to Hurt Me by the Gap Band. And on day three, I needed something empowering to say goodbye to the man who broke my heart, get me ready to go out again and take a chance on love, so I picked Girlfriend by Pebbles. Thanks for the list. Yeah, we've had so many awesome breakup songs coming in our inbox and Mm -hmm. on Facebook. It almost makes me want to date someone so I can break up with them and listen to all of it. Well, I may, or maybe just make a playlist. Yeah, or that's much better idea. <laughs> anyway, momstuffathouselfworks.com is our listener email address, or you can find us on Facebook or hit us up on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And of course, there's the blog during the week, Stuff Mom Never Told You at howstuffworks.com. <laughs> Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?